Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, working to change how cancer is treated with personalized medicine. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Drs. Anise Chagpar and Stephen Gore. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about MRI imaging for prostate cancer with Dr. Jeff Weinreb. Dr. Weinreb is professor of radiology and biomedical imaging at the Yale School of Medicine. Dr. Gore is a professor of internal medicine and hematology at Yale and director of hematologic malignancies at the Yale Cancer Center. People are afraid of MRIs, I find. You, you, you know, the MRI machine, uh, so many people have are afraid of it, it seems. Is that... Is, well, Am I, I say that, that certainly it can be intimidating because it's a uh, long tunnel that people yeah, I've have never to been go in into. One. And some people are claustrophobic or just not comfortable in that environment. But I'd say the vast majority of patients tolerate it very, very well. And they're happy to have it because it's a very useful diagnostic test. There's no radiation. And it gives them answers. And it makes a lot of noise, I hear. It does make a lot of noise, yeah. Yeah. But so what, right? Well, we give everybody earplugs. Okay. And uh, so that um, the noise doesn't affect their hearing, and uh, generally it's not a problem. Okay, so we shouldn't have, people shouldn't have to turn off their radio because they're afraid of MRIs, right? To listen to our talk. <laughs> That's why I let off that way. Well, you know, you can't bring a radio into the MRI scanning room uh -huh. because it'll cause it to malfunction and maybe break. Gotcha. And what about people who have like metal in their bodies and stuff? That used to be an issue, I think. Well, it is an issue, but most of the metal that's put in the body, turns out, is perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. There's nothing going to—it's not going to move. It's not going to heat up. It's not a problem. There's uh, some types of metal that we have to be careful about. And there's also a lot of patients nowadays who have various electromagnetic uh, devices in their body, things like pacemakers and infusion pumps. Right. And some of those— um, are not safe to be scanned in an MR scanner. But as we've gotten more and more experience, we're finding that even in those patients, uh, if we uh, use the appropriate uh, conditions and we monitor uh, properly, and we have a lot of experience in doing this, we're scanning lots of patients now with pacemakers. It's becoming routine. That's cool. You know, um, I finished my residency at University of Chicago in 1987, at that time, um, UFC did not have an MRI scanner. They were new, I think. Uh, and uh, no, 1984. 1984 it would have been. 84. And uh, so I remember when there was a really complicated, in those days it was just for brain imaging, I think, at least there. Uh, you know, if we had somebody who really needed an MRI of the brain, they had to like be put in an ambulance, brought over to Rush uh, Medical Center, and, and that's how it was. It was uh, right. It was, well, you know, MRI scanning uh, scanners for diagnostic purposes for medical use was developed in the 1970s and became available in the early 1980s. So the time frame you were talking about, uh, when I got into it, there were only about five MRI scanners in the United States in the early 1980s. Mm. Today, there are 35,000, actually more than that, oh my worldwide. And just here at Yale, we're reading um, studies from about 17 clinical scanners. Uh, we have separate research scanners. We have a scanner that's 
in our pediatric hospital just for pediatrics. We have a scanner that's just for breast MRI. We have a scanner in in an operating room environment to uh, help the neurosurgeon uh, uh, during his uh, uh, surgery in the brain. So there are just uh, scanners all over the place in hospitals and in clinics around the country. So 30 years is a long time, and I'm just old. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> uh, join, join the club. My wife in those days— you're a good company. My wife in those days was a uh, strategic planner at Children's Memorial Hospital, which is now Lurie's— Children's Hospital at Northwestern, different building, and uh, they were putting in a certificate of, of need for an MRI scanner to be the second in the city, and that was a big deal. Yeah, it was yeah. a very big deal. And big deal. still in Connecticut, we still have a certificate of need uh, requirement, which yeah. uh, uh, to some extent limits the number of MR scanners, but. Uh, you know, every hospital, every uh, radiology yeah, practice. Yeah, you have to have it, right? Oh, yeah. It's just become essential. Yes. It's, it's, you know, used for everything. So has your practice been MRI limited from the get-go, from when you were a, a 1980s? Well, I'm a radiologist. Right. Uh, so I was trained in uh, all uh, sure. diagnostic modalities. But I, um, when I started working in MRI, I was doing everything in MRI. As you mentioned, the first uh, clinical applications were in the brain and the spine and then the bones and joints. Um, and I, that's what I did for some time. But over time, I helped develop the field of body MRI, so meaning MRI in the other parts of the body, the abdomen, the pelvis, mm. uh, the vascular system. And nowadays, um, on a, clinically, I uh, deal only with CT scanning and with MRI. Gotcha. That's where I specialize. So you do both. Right. And you're interested in the prostate. Did that go along with being a gentleman of a certain age? <laughs> I, I, would say, I would say my interest has uh, not diminished. Um, well, you know, I, I got involved in prostate MRI um, in the 1980s. Okay, when you were still pretty young. I was a pup, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, at that time, we were using MRI uh, for staging. What I mean by that is a patient was proven to have prostate cancer based on a biopsy. And then in some cases, they would undergo MRI to see if the cancer had spread out of the prostate. And that's what we use prostate MRI for, for the first uh, decade or two. Okay. Over time, uh, as we developed more and more techniques and refined techniques and got more experience, we realized that we could actually find the cancers in the prostate the killer cancers, the so-called clinically significant cancers in the prostate. And so we started using MRI for diagnosing prostate cancer or for finding areas to biopsy. Mm. So we would know where to put the needle to get tissue to prove whether or not there was a prostate cancer there. So I've had a long-term interest in prostate cancer MRI. I've been doing this now for almost three decades. On a personal level, my my father had prostate cancer when he was uh, quite elderly. Most of us are going to get prostate cancer. Um, he had a type of prostate cancer that we now know generally doesn't kill people. Right. And today, probably he wouldn't be treated for it. Mm. At that time, he was treated. Yeah. And he developed complications from it and made his life fairly miserable. Right. And so that... Uh, probably uh, subliminally 
subliminally yeah, sure. spurred my interest in this field. Right. And when you say that most of us will get prostate cancer, what you're referring to is the fact that left long enough, the formation of some cancer focus in men's prostates is inevitable, but may certainly not ever be clinically problematic, right? Right. So this is a really important issue with prostate cancer is that prostate cancer is the second most common cancer in men in the United States. So after skin cancers, it is the most common cancer in the United States. So there's you know, around 140,000 new cases diagnosed each year. The vast majority of patients diagnosed with prostate cancer are not going to die from it. Mm-hmm. So, but nevertheless, it's a major killer of men in the United sure. States. I think it's the second most common cancer cause of death for men in the United States after lung cancer. Right. Um, but this is a, a, it's a very important point. Most people who get prostate cancer are not going to die from it. And the problem we've had is distinguishing, distinguishing between those patients who have the killer cancers, the clinically significant cancers, and those who have the indolent cancers, the ones that most of us are going to get and they're going to live with, and it's never going to affect us. Right. I don't want our listeners to run out to their docs and say, oh, Weinreb says that I've got prostate cancer because we all do, you know. We well, don't, no, we don't want to start, we don't we start don't a panic in New Haven. No, no. So, 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 uh, so obviously we don't want to start doing MRIs or treating everybody. It would be good for your business, you know. It would be good for your <laughs> business, but we don't need any help in business. We're, we're quite busy. Um, um, so the point is that uh, prostate cancer is just really, really common. Most people are just not going to die from it. Um, currently, the way we determine who might be a candidate for MRI is patients get a blood test called PSA, prostate-specific antigen. If it's elevated or they have other risk factors for prostate cancer, maybe there's a very strong family history, for example, mm-hmm. then they might undergo an MRI to help determine um, if there's an, a focus or a location in the prostate that should be biopsied because it's suspicious for clinically significant cancer. And it turns out MRI is quite good at that. It is able to find most of the clinically significant cancers. Hmm. So, um, you know, I guess the question of using this PSA blood test for screening has been controversial and for a while it was sort of discouraged. Now I think it's being encouraged uh, with the right counseling and so on. But but I think that the take-home message is that men, certainly over 50, uh, depending on the family history, at least uh, prostate health should be addressed by their primary physicians and something that should be attended to one way or the other, right? So everybody should be aware uh, that they should be thinking about whether prostate cancer could be a possibility for them. Right? Well, again, I think given the uh, the prevalence of prostate cancer, how common it is, mm-hmm. and the um, and the uh, implications uh, as a uh, cause of death, and also sure. this is really important. So many men are treated for prostate cancer, have been in the past treated for the types of cancers that aren't going to kill them, and had uh, complications from the treatment. Sure. Uh, urinary incontinence, meaning they can't control their uh, urinary function, uh, sexual impotence. And it's sort of, you know, it's just not great. You're treating a disease which wasn't going to kill or even hurt them. And in some cases, the complications worse than the disease. Mm. So hopefully using MRI, we can minimize that 
uh, uh, kind of thing from happening. Okay, so let's say, let's say that I'm working with my doctor, uh, who's a very fine internist. If you're listening, um, and uh, <laughs> and he does the appropriate screening and just determines it either. My level's high or more likely uh, the velocity of my increase is worrisome or something like that. Um, and he refers me, probably going to refer me to a urologist, I guess. Right? Correct. Right. right. Most of the time. You, yeah, yeah, and the urologist is going to do a, a rectal exam, which isn't very helpful a lot of times. Sometimes it is, right? Yeah. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but they feel like they have to do it. What can I tell it's you? A, uh, it's a it's, ritual. It's a, it's a uh, standard part of the exam, yes. Right. So how is that urologist uh, going to decide to send me for an MRI or not? Or what, what is your opinion about what they should do in the okay, best possible so, world? Okay, so again, I think that the uh, urologist um, uh, will look holistically at the uh, patient and take into account everything, uh, not just the PSA level and the uh, digital rectal exam, but how rapidly the PSA is in increasing, sure. uh, family history, and uh, there may be other uh, blood markers or um, um, uh, bio um, uh, medical um, factors, indicators. indicators that suggest that the patient is at an elevated risk for uh, prostate cancer. In the past, those patients would go directly to an ultrasound-guided biopsy. Ultrasound. Where the needle under ultrasound is placed in typically 12 parts of the prostate without targeting a spot, just sort of not quite randomly, but sort of randomly in the prostate in the hopes that this little needle, which is sampling maybe, you know, a half a percent of the prostate gland, is going to find the prostate cancer. That has been the standard of care for years. Okay, hold it right there, Jeffy, because you're making me yeah. uncomfortable. But really, <laughs> because we have to take a break for a medical minute. Okay. Please stay tuned to learn more about this horrible ultrasound thing, uh, and more about MRI imaging for prostate cancer with Jeff, Dr. Jeffrey Weinreb. Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, dedicated to providing innovative treatment options for people living with cancer. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. This is a medical minute about colorectal cancer. When detected early, colorectal cancer is easily treated and highly curable. And as a result, it's recommended that men and women over the age of 50 have regular colonoscopies to screen for the disease. Tumor gene analysis has helped improve management of colorectal cancer by identifying the patients most likely to benefit from chemotherapy and newer targeted agents, resulting in more patient-specific treatments. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Stephen Gore. I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Jeffrey Weinreb, and we are discussing MRI imaging for prostate cancer detection. Jeff, uh, you know, jokingly before the break, uh, I stopped you from describing what, you know, to a layperson does sound pretty awful. Uh, I'm picturing, I assume this ultrasound probe is, is in the rectum? Uh, uh, correct. Is that how you, you see the prostate? Yes. So I'm, I'm picturing some big ultrasound probe in my rectum and somebody coming in with me with needles. That, that, 
That's it's not, exactly, it's not think, an appealing picture. That's all I can tell you. Well, that's exactly what happens, and uh, it's not as bad as it sounds. No, and I'm sure I, you're, I don't think anybody loves it, but it's uh, it's tolerated. And I'm sure people are under some kind of anesthesia or light anesthesia or something. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But, but you're saying that maybe that wasn't the most effective way to approach it. Well, so what happens with uh, that approach is that you're, again, just sampling a small part of the prostate, and it's just almost a matter of luck if there's cancer present, that you're actually going to find it. And even if you find it, you may, um, um, when this goes to the pathologist, they may um, underdiagnose it so mm-hmm. that it may be a more advanced cancer, but they can't tell from the small sample they gotcha. get. Or it may be misdiagnosed as to whether it's one of those killer cancers or not. So... In other parts of the body, if you think about it, when we do a biopsy, we're sticking a needle, if we're looking for cancer, into something that we think is cancer based on imaging. Sure, a mammogram or a lung CT scan or Absolutely. something like that, right? Absolutely. So, and the prostate was unique in this regard. It's kind of blind. Yes, yeah, sort of just, you know, random biopsies, and gee, you hope you hit it. And the reason was that you can't find these cancers reliably using ultrasound. I see. It's just not a good technique. For finding the cancers, it's a good technique for guiding biopsies. I see. So now with MRI, where we can find most of these cancers, uh, the new approach is to do the MRI prior to the biopsy. Mm -hmm. Use the MRI to decide whether or not, with the patient, whether or not they want to undergo a biopsy. And then if they do undergo a biopsy, use the MRI as a guide to where to stick some of the needles to increase the probability that you're going to find the clinically significant cancers. But are they using the MRI during the biopsy, or they just have the pictures there? So the biopsy can be done um, using the MRI as a guide. One way of doing it is uh, sort of is called a, uh, a a cognitive biopsy, and that's where generally a urologist looks at the MRI scan, and then um, under ultrasound. Um, you know, just looks back and forth between the MRI tries to match it up. and tries to match and put the needle in the right place. And it seems to work okay, but it's probably got limitations for small cancers. Seems like, and especially if you're spatially yeah. challenged like me, but yeah. then I wouldn't be doing that. But people doing are doing that, that and, okay, and it works. seems to work reasonably well. Okay. Another approach is to do this in the MRI scanner itself. And so we just started doing these um, at Yale. This has been done at uh, many other places. And that's also uh, that's a, got some advantages, um, but it does use the MRI scanner for an hour or so or more. And uh, we like to use that MRI scanner for uh, diagnostic purposes. We don't have availability in many places of MRI scanners to do these under direct visualization in the MRI scanner. So the technique that's been developed now over the last decade or so is MR ultrasound fusion guided biopsies. And the idea here is you do the MRI first, then you uh, get this digital data and you electronically merge it with the ultrasound with the ultrasound huh. data and use the ultrasound wow with the MRI guidance to target the biopsy it's a very interesting technology there's you know a lot of different approaches to doing this but this is what's really uh, taken off this is the most common way of doing the biopsies the MR targeted biopsies now is with ultrasound MR fusion yeah 
And they're not in the MRI machine at that point, then? No. Yeah. No. So the MRI scan is done typically on one day. The radiologist assesses the MRI scan. Uh, using the MRI data, draws a, uh, or creates a three-dimensional model of the prostate. Wow. Shows exactly where the suspicious areas are. And then this is merged with the ultrasound data, and then under uh, real-time ultrasound um, is uh, uh, done on another day in another room. Mm. Um, the, the needles are put into the appropriate place. And does the ultrasound machine, is it smart enough to know if the needle's in the right place or not? Uh, that's the urologist's job yeah. at current. But, you know, I, in the future, probably... The machine will do this for us. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that, it's just fascinating. Um, and I don't know how many you know, of, our, of our listeners know the prostate's in such a tough spot right there, sort of beneath the bladder and against the, the wall of the pelvis. And it's a, it's a small thing, right? I mean, it's... You most, know, a normal you know. prostate is about the size of a walnut. And we're looking for things that are just a few millimeters or a centimeter in size in many cases. So it is challenging. And it's, as you and it's said, it's hard to reach. It's hard to reach. It's located between the rectum and it's buried deep there in the uh, pelvis. Um, but we can get needles into there either through the um, rectum or actually through the perineum, which is the space between the um, scrotum. Uh, scrotum and the rectum. Yeah. Amazing. Um, can the MRI be used at all to, like, can you see on the MRI, wow, this, this looks like it's really going to be a cancer or mm, maybe not? I mean, does the MRI, anything about the image give you any information? Yeah. So there are, um, so today what we, when we do our MRI, we call it the MPMRI, multi-parametric MRI. So it uses a bunch of different um, um, uh, techniques and we, uh, integrate all of that information and use various criteria to decide what the probability of an abnormality is to be a clinically significant cancer. Okay. And the, the, uh, the standard of care now worldwide is actually something that uh, I helped develop and I, I actually uh, led the development of this, is something called PIRADS, Prostate Imaging Reporting and Data System. What it does is it uses... Uh, features on the MRI scan, and based on that, we give it a score of one to five. Mm -hmm. So a one would indicate that there's very little chance that this is a clinically significant cancer. At the other end of the extreme, a five would be a finding that uh, based on the MRI criteria, based on cri PIRADS criteria, has a very high probability of being a clinically significant cancer. Generally, in practice today, anything that's graded as a three, four, or five will undergo a targeted biopsy. But a one or two will not. Um, a one or one will not. A two, in most cases, will not. But if a patient, let's say, for example, a patient has a very high PSA or has very high risk factors for clinically significant cancer, and the only thing we see is a two, then that might be targeted because there's nothing else that's suspicious for cancer. And a two doesn't mean it's not prostate cancer. It just means it's a very unlikely to be clinically significant prostate cancer. Gotcha. And are there ever any prostate cancers that don't show on the MRI at all? Yes. So most of the cancers that don't show up on the MRI are the indolent ones, the slow-growing ones, mm -hmm. the ones that aren't going to kill the patient. But 
MRI is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, depending on uh, the study, um, the um, chances of missing a clinically significant bad prostate cancer are probably in the range of uh, uh, 15 to 5%. Most studies um, showing um, results more on the low level. Hmm. So I, I knew somebody in my family, or I know somebody in my family, uh, who's still fine, um, who uh, underwent uh, an evaluation for uh, suspected prostate cancer. And in fact, his PSA was within the normal range, but he's kind of an anal person. And he was watching his velocity, and mm -hmm. he does a lot of research, and he thought that his velocity was too high, and he convinced the urologist to do a biopsy, which the urologist didn't really want to. And seems to me that <clears throat> he had an ultrasound-directed uh, biopsy, uh, which was surprisingly positive and surprisingly worrisome for a higher-grade cancer. And then, but they hadn't done an MRI, so then the question was how to assess whether the cancer was within the prostate gland or was extending beyond the prostate gland. And he had to wait like six weeks to get a MRI. That seemed really like super unfortunate. Does that... Sound like a real story, or yeah, I think this is common. What's happened is that, uh, as I mentioned, uh, in with um, prostate MRI, it was first used for staging, yeah. But as um, we've gotten more experience with it, and as the data has accrued, we're using prostate MRI for more and more um, discovery for diagnosis, not just for diagnosis. So, um, uh, so the second thing after staging, it was used in as patients who with at risk for having prostate cancer, based on their PSA or other factors, had negative biopsies, but they still thought that the patient had prostate cancer. And we know that the traditional transrectal ultrasound-guided biopsies miss a lot of prostate cancers. Right. So biopsy-negative patients would get an MRI to find a target. Hmm. Okay. Um, now we're using it before the biopsy in many cases where it's available. This is certainly not uh, true everywhere because... The, these biopsy capabilities are not available everywhere, and radiologists everywhere are not expert yet in this. But we're also using MRI now for surveillance. So a patient has a biopsy, and it's a low-grade cancer, for mm. example, or for whatever reason they don't want to treat it. The patient doesn't want treatment. We can use the MRI along with the PSA to follow these, these patients year to year to year and see if anything changes. And if nothing changes, then you don't treat it. If something pops up that's new, you know exactly where to put the needle to try to make a diagnosis and treat it if necessary. So the applications of prostate MRI have growing enormously. A lot of this is still in evolution and under investigation, but it seems to be developing a uh, bigger and bigger role in the uh, care pathways for prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. So it seems... Uh reasonable, um, at least from what I'm hearing, if, you, if you're a gentleman um, who is uh, working with a urologist who's recommending a biopsy to at least ask about whether an MRI should be done first. Uh, I, what I'd say is I would. And right. I think more and more patients, as they're learning about this, are um, uh, some of them learning about it from the internet or sure. from radio. Um, but more and more, uh, the urologists are getting on board. So there was resistance to this approach, um, um, and that was pretty widespread. And it's understandable. There was one way of doing things, and this was a new thing, which was unproven. But as the data is um, 
accumulating, showing that this is a good approach. And as it becomes more and more available, more and more urologists are letting their patients know that this is an option or even recommending it. Right. But if your urologist doesn't bring it up, it's at least reasonable to ask. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was going to try to make a joke about a tough walnut to crack. Uh, <laughs> yes, well, maybe there I just did, but I'm sorry about that. I thought it was a good joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't surprise me somehow. Uh, now, some MRIs I know uh, for some indications, people have to get some intravenous material, some kind of contrast medium. Is that used in the prostate? Yeah, so um, for... So we use MRI now for all parts of the body, right? We, you mentioned we use it the brain and the uh, spine and the bones and joints, but now we use it in the breast. Uh, we use it for um, uh, looking at the blood vessels, uh, sure. MR angiography, MRA. It's amazing. About 40% of the exams are done with an injection of a contrast agent, which is commonly known as a gadolinium chelate or gadolinium-based contrast agent. Um, uh, so you inject this into a vein in the arm, and uh, this, uh, in many cases, um, outside of the prostate, is extremely useful. Now, how useful it is in the prostate is an open question. Mm. As we're getting more and more experience, and as we're developing and refining other techniques, the need for this contrast injection seems to be diminishing. So there's now uh, quite a few studies which seem to indicate that the incremental value of this contrast injection for detection of prostate cancer is small to non-existent. Got it. As long as the other techniques are optimized. The challenge currently is to optimize those other techniques to obviate the need for the contrast. And right now we still have um, a fair number of cases where those other techniques are not uh, perfect, so the contrast may actually help. So we are still giving the contrast for these exams. Gotcha. I suspect over time, though, that the use of contrast, intravenous contrast for prostate MRI will diminish a lot. Okay, great. Well, this has been a fascinating discussion about uh, really an area that I hadn't much thought about except for my relative uh, where just thinks, wow, that was kind of backwards. Um, and I'm sure that the, particularly the gentleman in the audience uh, will have learned a lot as well um, about the use of MRI imaging uh, for prostate cancer detection. You know, I'd say as the men are interested, I think their uh, female, their spouses are even more interested that the men get care of men. Because men don't like to go men to men don't doctors. like to think about this stuff. Dr. Jeff Weinreb is Professor of Radiology and Biomedical Imaging at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio.